Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that covers the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about hit 90s sci-fi television show, The X-Files. And with me to do that are two other Nicks who also want to believe Nick T. Actually, I'm CGI Special Agent Fax Modem. And Nick Z. No Romos, go home. Shippers all the way. <laughs> Spicy. I have, I have no retort to that. <laughs> but I am aware that it is something we are going to learn more about in this episode. Oh, yeah. In case you're listening to this episode and have no idea what the X-Files are, they are obviously a conspiracy set out by the government to get you. But if you don't buy that, and you shouldn't, it's because it is a television series, as G had mentioned. And from this quote from Wikipedia, the series revolves around the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Special Agents Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny, and Dana Scully, played by Gillian Anderson, who investigate X-Files, marginalized, unsolved cases involving paranormal phenomena. Mulder believes in the existence of aliens and the paranormal, while Scully, a medical doctor and a skeptic, is assigned to make scientific analyses of Mulder's discoveries to debunk his work and thus return him to mainstream cases. I guess the implication there is that Mulder is really good at his job if he was just not looking at all these obviously fake cases. He really wants to believe. Yes. He really does. I managed to grab a couple of fandom facts for this episode. I tried to look at Google Trends data, but, unfortunately, Google Trends data only goes back to 2004. And, unfortunately, Season 9, the last season to air before a very lengthy break, ended in 2002. From that data, it looks like interest has been on the decline, albeit a very slow one. But it had some pretty big spikes in 2008, which I believe was the release of The X-Files I Want to Believe, uh, which was a movie that had a theatrical release. Uh, there was another spike in 2016 when... Season 10, the reboot or revival or whatever you want to call it came out. And then uh, there was a much smaller spike in 2018 when season 11 came out, which I'm not sure what to read into. I don't know if folks are overall less interested or they were less interested after such a huge delay in the, sh the show or, or what it was. 2002, 2016 is a pretty big jump for like, we're coming back. It's 14 years, 2016 to 2018. Not as much of an event. No, and I mean, there was a, a six-year gap between the last season, as far as we knew, and the movie, mm -hmm. but uh, probably not the same. I didn't look up what fans thought of the X-Files movie, so it's really hard to say. From what I can tell, both movies were like, eh. <laughs> that seems to be the general sort of reaction. But it's another thing I could relate back to Doctor Who, of like the series being canceled, then in the middle there's a mediocre movie. And then after a few more years, the series comes back. So this <laughs> seems like a similar uh, situation. Got it. I couldn't find data on the fans specifically. I found something that was close. There was a, a website that was about shipping, but uh, unfortunately had been recently inundated with information about the new series, so I couldn't find any of the surveys that they conduct. But I did find an interesting article on fan lore, which comes from a Tumblr post called A Note About the X-Files Fandom. And it is a fascinating little time capsule into the fandom of X-Files. Mm. But the parts that I took away from it are about the fans themselves. I have a quote here from that excerpt. 
The X-Files' prime Nielsen demographic targets were 18 to 49. That was the most popular viewing age for the show. The average viewer was in their mid to late 20s. They had jobs and families that came home to watch TV together at the end of the day. The people who wrote most of the classic fan fiction we have today were in their 20s at the time or 30s. So presumably, if you extrapolate, the people who enjoyed the show now are probably... If it's the original group, are somewhere in their 50s. Mm-hmm. But I imagine there have been an influx of fans since then. So not a lot of data to look at, but that was something that I managed to find. And that's all the fandom facts that I have for this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the thing about shipping is a fact in and of itself, but we kind of have <laughs> our own topic for that. I mean, Jillian Anderson was a fan of Reboot or whatever. And was featured on an episode of Reboot where she played a character that was effectively Dana Scully. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that fact came up on the Reboot episode, (laughs) though. Interesting, interesting. It's a crossover. So my first impression of The X-Files was it was the thing that was on after The Simpsons. And then one time parodied on The Simpsons. For some reason, I always had an abiding interest in sci-fi. But the um, sort of trope of like, like the government and the G-men and like things are not what they seem and the paranormal. It was like, I think it was a little too subtle for me at the time during its original airing. So I was like, eh, it looks okay. It looks kind of boring that everything looks drab and there's no, no lasers or anything like that. So I just knew it as this kind of thing that kind of existed alongside stuff that I watched. <laughs> but I never took the plunge and, and got onto it. Most of what I knew came from that Simpsons episode. Yeah. As I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure that I really had much of a first impression of the show. It feels to me like it was one of those things that I wasn't terribly aware of while it was airing. Except through things like the character's appearance in The Simpsons, or uh, Gillian, Gillian Anderson's appearance in uh, Reboot. I feel like the only reason I know about The X-Files, or learned about it, was through the various pop culture references to it that happened since it aired. My first impressions of the X-Files, I think of the three of us, I might have watched the most of it. That doesn't seem likely, but it might be possible. As I was looking it up, I probably started watching the X-Files around season seven, which was well on its way to being quite over. (laughs) But I still managed to catch it pretty regularly for the reason that you'd mentioned, G, which is it aired after The Simpsons, and sometimes I would watch that. There's a few episodes that I remember particularly well. For example, where they were stuck inside a VR game and they had to beat the AI or something like that. And I remember uh, episodes starting from Mulder disappearing and being replaced with a different actor, not not playing the same role, playing a different character, playing the character Mm -hmm. of John Doggett, being played by, I think his name is Patrick Roberts. The guy in uh, Terminator 2. Yeah. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. Oh, I said Patrick <laughs> Roberts. I was close. Yep. <laughs> I remember enjoying the latter seasons, but that's possibly because it was less scary and more fun. <laughs> there was an episode where they found a genie and each of them took turns having their wishes granted, one of which was world peace and there was no one else in the world. <laughs> Whoa. So I, I think I also caught the show when the production values were really good. I really don't have a a very good idea of what the X-Files is, quote, really like. Hmm. I will say, for not having ever seen the show, 
the theme to the show is something that like endures throughout like like I always knew what the what the X-Files theme sounded like. And I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> like I know they played it in that Family Guy episode where Peter's really good at the piano when he's drunk. Eh. But by that time, I already knew that that was the X-Files theme. One of those many cultural references. Part of the cultural consciousness. Mm-hmm. Talk about cultural references. You mentioned Family Guy referencing X-Files, and that kind of talks a little bit about X-Files longevity. One thing that I don't think about that Z, you were particularly interested in digging into was how the X-Files fandom influenced early internet fandom, Mm -hmm. which I only realize now that I maybe completely misread and misinterpreted what you wrote. (laughs) But what did you find on that avenue? I found that for the most part, it influenced early internet fandom, mostly because its release converged with the uh, slow spread of the internet in general. So, I mean... Maybe it could have been any show and any show's fandom that sort of shaped internet fandom. But it wasn't any show, it was the X-Files. I think, too, that there's a level of verisimilitude in the 90s of X-Files fans congregating on the internet. Like, being on the internet holds no cachet or identifiers now. Mm -hmm. But I think, like, I'm not going to say obsessively, but like, discussing a tv show online would be like a very niche thing at the time and i think that fits exactly in with like the themes of x-files yeah one thing that i came across in that notes about x-files fandom i think was talking about how probably because there wasn't people on the internet you knew all of the people who were writing the fanfic Mm. like today fan fiction is is still a personal hobby it's still a, a thing that that people do but it's not like you were like the person who wrote this fic yeah like you're the x-files fic person yeah you're the stephen king of x-files fic (laughs) now when you're watching any show you know anything that crops up on netflix or any movie that you go to see in the theater or whatever you can be like no i want more of that i'm gonna look at what the fanfic has because there is some (sighs) undoubtedly already but it was a small pool at the time. I wouldn't doubt that it was a small pool, especially relative to now. But I got the sense that there was quite a community of fanfic writers. And they weren't necessarily concentrated just in like one country even. It seemed like there was a worldwide web <laughs> of fanfic writers. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slow craft dog gift. I'm going to just take what you said, Z, and just set it aside, regardless of how cringeworthy it was, and uh, acknowledge that you're you're right. It was the web that we don't know today. It was the web of Usenet, the web of message boards, which still technically exist today in different ways. They weren't the BBSs of yesteryear, Mm -hmm. bulletin board systems. It was a very different web. I found, doing the research for this episode, that apparently there were waves of fans of X-Files, which is not something that comes up often. Usually the things that we cover are either so recent that they they haven't had the chance to create their own strata of stuff, Mm -hmm. or they're so old that there's like, I don't know, treatises of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think with the X-Files especially, what really helped those strata to form is how it sort of released 
in waves itself, right? Because you had the series, you had one movie released during the series, and you had another movie come out six years after the series finished. There were some video games that happened in between, I'm sure, and also during. And then you had the revival, and then you had sort of the second revival. Mm -hmm. I think the, the second revival is just the second season. There's just like a long delay between things. Right. But I mean, unlike, say, Twin Peaks, where you had the series over 25 years ago now, and then had more of it after the movie, 25 years later, like with the X-Files, there's that somewhat regular-ish release, very staggered, but it's been coming out maybe more in drips and drabs than full-on release for over 25 years now. Yeah, I mean, also, too, it's had um, novels and comic books going as well. Yeah. Did either of you dig into those? I didn't even know that that was a thing. Not really. All I know about the comics is that apparently they, they or at least one set of them, picks up where the series left off. A continuing comic story, much like Adventure mm -hmm. Time or Gravity Falls. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the same thing happened to Doctor Who. Right. That was sort of uh, the leap I made. I mean, Star Wars also had that all the time. Yeah. But it's like, you know, everyone's everyone's waiting for whatever original incarnation it was in to return. Yeah. Yeah. Which, actually, that reminds me of uh, something I read in one of the articles about the revival, first on Netflix and then on Fox, and how one of the fans that the, the person writing the article was talking to mentioned... It doesn't matter if it's bad. All that matters is that it's back on TV. Interesting. Very interesting. That flies counter to something that I read about why it shouldn't be back on TV. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, yeah? Okay. So I'm going to try to tie this together with one of the, the points that you were interested in raising in this episode. <laughs> sure. Z, you'd ask a question. Using the waves of X-Files shows and fandoms as a template, does it seem that a fandom needs constant content to survive, or is there something more than the presence in the current culture that keeps fandom going? You were talking about an article where it doesn't matter if it's bad, it matters that it keeps going. This other article was talking about how the reason that so many shows continue on, even if they're not good, mm -hmm. is entirely so that they continue to exist. And you're like, okay, who cares? I love that thing. But they don't continue to exist because, you know, we want to make this really interesting world or people love this. It's not about that. It's just about making bank. <laughs> uh, I saw a really good tweet today on a completely different topic talking about why does Disney keep re-releasing all these old movies in live action? Well, that has to do with giving them the ability to extend their copyright. Oh, yeah. See the Fantastic Four. <laughs> oh, that's like a particularly nasty example. <laughs> so you're like, it doesn't matter that the X-Files is bad, it's coming back. No, that is the wrong attitude to have. Fandoms absolutely need new content to exist. And if you're a fan of the X-Files, I'm sure you love the new X-Files, even if it's terrible. I don't know that it's terrible because I haven't seen it. And I, I do know the people were not a fan of the last few seasons of the original run of the X-Files. Yeah. But as a fandom, your fandom cannot continue to exist if there's not new content coming out. Like, the timescale of fandoms, I think, is much longer than most people's lives. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things. But if X-Files wants to exist past, like, I don't know, maybe the generation after ours, then they, they're going to have to keep making stuff. I don't know about that. Because, yes, there was that one fan who was like, don't care if it's bad, glad to have it back. But the author of that article themselves, a fan of the X-Files, and specifically somebody very interested in fan fiction, writing it and reading it for the X-Files, was of the exact opposite opinion. Because for the longest time, the X-Files was off the air. There was no sort of like official canon meddling with characters' relationships and that sort of thing. So it was like this big open playground for people uh, making fan works to just go ahead, do what you want to do, see what you want to see, and have the relationships that you want to have happen, happen. Complete or continue the story arcs that maybe the writers forgot about or just dropped at a very unsatisfying point and, and go for it. Look, I'm, I'm salivating at the idea of doing this mini-sode within this episode. Because ah! I think this is a fascinating topic of, like, does fandom need content to live on? To which I say, listener, hold my beer. Ah! Oh, no. Because Lebowski Fest began oh, in 2002 boy. and runs to this day. Whoa. That's fascinating because, like, the movie was just a movie. Yep. Yeah. There were a few other things that I read and a few things that came up in the, the interviews with some of the early fanfic writers that I was reading. But like one of the things that came up a lot was that, as with other shows like Twin Peaks or Lost, you know, there's this mystery. The X-Files is all about this conspiracy theory. Nothing is what it seems. Aliens and the supernatural, they're all real. It's all just a big cover-up. And as a mystery, as a conspiracy theory... The show has these little clues, you know, or does it? Ooh. A lot of people think that uh, X-Files continuity is very lackluster in certain departments. But nonetheless, there's at least a perceived mystery there. And so the community around the show, especially the early one, where, you know, it was a community that formed around this show that had not necessarily really existed before in any other form. I mean... There was Kolchak and such in the 70s, which was kind of the same idea. A police detective who uh, focused entirely on cases that seemed to be paranormal. Mm. But I kind of get the impression that that series didn't necessarily take itself very seriously. Whereas at least for the first few seasons, the X-Files tried to. And then you also have this group of people discovering the usefulness of the internet via talking about the X-Files. Sharing fan stuff, sharing ideas, sharing theories. And so I think that experience of the fans created this this hardcore fan base who, in a way, because the show didn't really satisfy them in terms of, you know, Scully and Mulder, are they ever going to do it? Or Mulder's sister, spoilers, she dies at one point in the show. And so, you know, he can stop searching for her. But then there's a follow-up episode about that. And maybe that leaves some people unsatisfied. So, I mean, all the mysteries and everything just seem to make this really densely packed community of fans, or so it seemed to me. And I get the impression that, much like with things like uh, like Riverdale today, where maybe it's uh, the soap opera element is turned way up, and the mysteries are just kind of 
sprinkled on top a little bit. Stuff like that, I think, still sort of attracts the same people, the same kinds of people, the same kinds of fans. And if those people have X-Files fans in their life, they're probably going to have those X-File fans say, well, you really like Riverdale. You know, it's it's got some mysteries to it. It's got some some intrigue. But how about this thing called the X-Files? And because it's somewhat easily discoverable, you can just hop onto American Netflix, I believe, or probably some other service now, if not Netflix, and find it. That discoverability, I think, maybe there's some attrition over time, you know. Right now we have, let's say, 100,000 fans for sake of numbers. And then five years from now, with no new content, that number drops to like 80,000, and it continues dropping off. But like, I think as long as discoverability is there, shows like The X-Files will always have some kind of a fan base, even if it's shrinking. It's like a matter of the feeling of immediacy and urgency, right? Mm. Like, Infinity War is just an ad for the previous 19 movies, (laughs) you know, and so on. So it always feels like there's a need to go back and watch the previous ones. A new season of the X-Files will instill in some the urgency to go back and revisit the series so they can be ready for when it comes back. Like Game of Thrones, a lot of people are rewatching Game of Thrones right now because the last season is about to come out. Oh, man. It is what I would say a false sense of urgency (laughs) that kind of determines where people go when they're choosing their entertainment. You will have a certain amount of people, like, they hear about it, or they go, I'm finally going to sit down and watch the X-Files, and that's what I'm going to do, and they're going to do it. But uh, for other people, it's just they're just kind of, like, wafting through the zeitgeist, and then, oh, man, there's an X-Files season coming up. I better check that out. It's how that feeling weighs on people, the amount of, uh, you know, referrals you get. Yeah. Honestly, if I was, you know, a new fan coming to X-Files for the first time, did not have any sort of chance to watch it growing up or anything like that. It might be a little intimidating to go back and try to catch up, because I think there's something like 200 episodes or so of the show, Mm. plus the two movies, and that if you really want to go all in, the books, the comics, the games. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know know very many people who try to uh, complete old fandoms like that. It feels like it's something, going back to that, that hardcore fan base, you know, with the, the newness of the internet and this, this show that had all these conspiracy theories and stuff, this mythology, as they called it, building up around it. I think another thing that really, and maybe this is also backtracking a little bit to the previous topic, but nonetheless, I think another thing that really helped shape modern fandom through the X-Files was how involved the creators became with the fandom and how the fandom gave the creators a few ideas for things, like the character of Bambi Higgins, an academic who had written about the X-Files fandom, Mm. or the idea that fans wanted to see a follow-up episode to the episode in which Mulder's sister dies, Mm. or the character of Layla Harrison, who was included as a tribute to a fan who had passed away. I feel like that sort of interaction with the fan base was much more rare at the time. Definitely. I mean, like, it... It it already has to be a show that's long running. Yeah. And has a few seasons in their belt for that even to start. Yeah. And it takes further uh, integrity to not just have a throwaway gag in an episode that makes fun of fans. <laughs> it does. 
I didn't watch a ton of X-Files, but isn't that kind of the idea with the lone gunman? Or, or am I mixing up this and Buffy where there was a bunch of <laughs> oh, nerds who... That, was... that is a thing I'm not going to be able to confirm for you either way. <laughs> On Buffy, there was a, a trio of nerds Got it. who in one season tried to take over the town for some reason. Anyway, I'm looking at you, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. Well, I mean, even at the time, though, in the 90s, one of the other huge shows from that era... The Simpsons, from what I've heard um, on uh, on Talking Simpsons and other Simpsons-related stuff, the writers knew that fans were talking about The Simpsons, but they just kind of shrugged it off. A bunch of fans talking about this show. Maybe they hate it. Maybe they like it. Whatever. Just a bunch of fans. Just a bunch of people talking about this show on this internet. We don't care. We're from Harvard. Somehow that comes through on The Simpsons. <laughs> on alt.nerd.obsessive. One thing that I was interested in last episode that hasn't come up yet, what was the impact of Dana Scully, Jillian Anderson's character, on the show on the fans? And I made some bold claims, (laughs) half of which I think I can back up, and the other half I think I can dismiss because (laughs) I, I want to do that. I made claims about STEM, which I have evidence to support and I will talk about in a second. And I made claims about many women discovering a side of themselves that they they didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't make that exact claim. I'm making it now. It's false in either case. (laughs) I learned, trying to back up the one part, that Dana Scully helped many women to discover that they are lesbians or bisexual. Uh, That was not right. But I did find out that Gillian Anderson has gone on record as saying that she was a lesbian in college. And I found evidence to support that Gillian Anderson, the actress, has attracted a lesbian fan base. Hmm. And by extension, that Gillian Anderson is bi to some extent. But none of that backs up my claim. So I might have might have just seen some tweets and extrapolated on bad data. All right. Well, um, yeah. But the part that I had definitely seen and had evidence for and learned more about was something that is called the Scully effect. Hmm. Uh, and it refers to something that's not merely about the depiction of of women in science, technology, engineering, and math on TV. It is claimed to have started with Dana Scully because she was a very competent person in the early 90s, a very competent woman in the early 90s in a important role. And many shows at that time did not do that, which is a low bar. But hey, that was the bar that was set. Mm-hmm. In an article on allthatsinteresting.com slash scully-effect, they have this really neat summary of some data that both 21st Century Fox and the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media, they conducted a study to try to, like, you know, people will say, yeah, it was Dana Scully, but could have been anybody. Uh, and they got some information on this. So about one-third of respondents were age 25 to 39, while the remainder were age 40 or older. This was taken sometime in the last decade, so gives you an idea of the breakdown. So the f- people that responded tended to be older, so they probably had seen X-Files. About half are in STEM right now, just to give you some background. Two-thirds of the respondents had seen at least one episode of the X-Files. Okay, it's pretty good. So you're like, okay, there's something there. These yeah. people who are in STEM saw X-Files. That doesn't mean they went into STEM because of the X-Files. Nearly two-thirds of the women who are familiar with Dana Scully say she increased their belief in the importance of STEM, 
That's a little bit harder data. With the women who are familiar with Scully's character, about half say that Scully increased their interest in STEM. Mm-hmm. And among people familiar with Scully's character, 91% said she is a role model for girls and women. Dang. Yeah. Wow. And there's a couple other stats, but I was just kind of blown away that like the presence of this one woman in media, not like all these other other women, it was Dana Scully in particular that has this Scully effect <laughs> so named that drew many women into STEM where they wouldn't have otherwise done that. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on here, right? Like she was a science aspect. She was also conducting the autopsies and stuff. And she was ironically sort of playing the straight man role. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, like, narratively. Yeah. Like, Mulder would just come up with, like, weird stuff. Scully would be like, no, or, like, can you back <laughs> that up with literally anything? <laughs> and, like, she was sort of the no-nonsense one. And I think the show, like, definitely borrows, like, a noir kind of feel at times. And it's usually, like, dudes in trench coats and fedoras. <laughs> Speaking like Bogart with a five o'clock shout up. Mm-hmm. But like in, in X-Files, you know, Scully is more of that character and, and Mulder's more of like wants to believe. Yeah, which is the reverse because usually not that either of them were unintelligent. No. But usually we kind of frame people who believe things without evidence as people who are unintelligent. And usually when you have a person and their companion, the companion tends to be the woman and the companion tends to be like depicted as less intelligent. Mm-hmm. I'd say her, and then maybe like a little bit later, like Captain Janeway, I'd also put in a similar thing. Mm. Though like the fact that uh, X-Files is, is more or less based in our universe with real professions that exist as opposed to Starship Captain <laughs> puts the effect slightly more in Scully's favor. But yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't even thought about that because there probably were many other female, like strong female role models, but there's a yeah, there's a big difference between a starship captain, a thing you can't be, not even today. <laughs> yeah, no. And an FBI agent, a thing you can definitely be mm-hmm. for like the last 20, 30, 50, whatever years. Yeah. I mean, the FBI hasn't been dissolved yet, so that's good. Yes. Good for them. Hang in there. <laughs> All right, so my famous last words was, is X-Files about the characters or the concepts? Like, did people were people into this just because like, Maybe aliens and, like, cool mythology? Or, like, were people really, like, following Mulder and Scully? And, like, obviously, of course, the answer is both. (laughs) Obviously, the answer is both. How could it not be? Like, on one hand, the show was building up, like, quite a mythology and, like, a myth arc, as Fanlore calls it. But you have Mulder and Scully being the ones investigating it. And, and, you know, I think that I want to believe bit, I think that probably spoke to a lot of the audience, who, even if they weren't, like, aliens. (laughs) <laughs> like they still like appreciated that sort of idea you know that like a show and a character could like be curious about like what if this really isn't you know what seems like who are you know previous generation or this generation befriends the twilight zone mm-hmm. my famous last words seemed a little, a little less maybe <laughs> high-minded than uh, either of yours but i was curious because of david Duchovny's earlier appearance on twin peaks as Dennis, a.k.a. Denise, a an FBI agent who was in the narcotics division, I believe. Ah. And after going undercover as a woman, learned that they enjoyed wearing women's clothes. And so we're starting to embrace a bit of a trans identity. And they appeared in, in the show, 
Twin Peaks as a woman. So I was curious to see, you know, okay, here's this this show, X-Files, with this huge star on the rise, David Duchovny, in a leading role. Was anybody excited to see maybe the reappearance of Denise or David Duchovny cross-dressing again? Well, as far as I know, that excitement might just be buried in one of those Usenet groups, but I did not find it. In the interviews with fanfic writers that I was reading, there was one fic writer who, and this is a guess, so I'm stepping out onto thin ice here, but who seemed to be male, and who mentioned Twin Peaks by name as another thing that they were into. So it's possible that there was that, maybe not excitement, but at least awareness of David Duchovny's character on Twin Peaks. But I don't know, I didn't really find anything concrete and and definite as to saying that there was a significant number of X-File fans who were aware of David Duchovny's appearance on Twin Peaks and were interested in seeing him appear as Denise or another female agent again. Hmm. Yeah. It would have, actually, I kind of wonder now, though, if anyone was aware of that, that of uh, David Duchovny's appearance on Twin Peaks as Denise, and maybe wrote that into some of their fan fiction for the X-Files. There's got to be Twin Peaks X-Files crossover, right? There's got to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be an X-File. Yes. Yes. <laughs> At least one of the X-Files. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts? I tried to start watching the X-Files recently. Mm-hmm. And aside from it being a bit dated in the sense that it was like four by three and really low res and some of the effects were like really <laughs> terrible. I didn't hate it. I, I thought it was a bit campy, but I en- enjoyed it. And even though I think two thirds of the episodes are monster of the week, you know what? That is the perfect kind of thing to binge watch. Hmm. For the most part, you have zero attachment to what's going on. You can just watch an episode and then that's it. You don't need to watch more. Yeah. Or you can. There is a story, but there's also lots of episodes that don't have a big emphasis on story. It's true. Yeah. My final thoughts on The X-Files are a little bit different. On the one hand, I feel like I would enjoy it after learning, you know, a little bit more about how it formed this early community online and how that community has endured through these fan works. I feel like there is a lot you could dive into, even aside from going back and watching 200 plus episodes of a show. Just, you know, reading some of the fanfics from the 90s, maybe the aughts, and then now. Or just, like, finding the best of the best and reading those. Or if there's any fan comics or that sort of thing, that could be really interesting to look into. And the show itself sounds interesting. It sounds like, you know, it might scratch a little bit of the same itch that Twin Peaks does for me. But at the same time, I kind of get the impression, because of that monster of the weakness, because of the uh because of the the man i everybody set your set your hipster alarms to on because of the the mainstream appeal of x-files i feel like i would be disappointed but i mean i could be wrong i could be very wrong and i don't know if i will dedicate the time to discover whether or not i'm wrong i feel like i feel like i'll probably drop in and maybe check out an episode from the first season See uh, see if it hooks me or not. Like a, a book with a mediocre cover that nonetheless 
pulls me in with that first paragraph. So, yeah. I kept hearing about how great Fringe was. Yes. <laughs> like sort of when it was on and like how great a show it was. Yeah. And then I kept watching it and it was like Monster of the Week. And every week there was something gross in it. I always had to dissect something that resulted in something gross happening. <laughs> and I got to the end of the first season and there's a big cliffhanger and a reveal. And it's like, oh, man, things really change. People are like, yeah, at the beginning of season two is where it really like gets going. Season one is like 25 one hour <laughs> episodes. And you know what? I didn't watch a single one after that. The cliffhanger was really exciting, and it was like a good reveal, and it made things more intriguing, but I had had enough. <laughs> I couldn't do any more, and I feel like with X-Files, I might run into the same thing. If I want that X-Files, I want that myth arc. Like, that's basically all I want from it. I don't want Monster of the Week stuff. So if a majority of it is that, I don't think I'd get enough out of X-Files for me to, like, watch it continuously. Hmm. Hmm. And... Presumably the recent seasons are continuations of the original series. So I I don't know. I don't know if X-Files is going to be for me. I am intrigued. What I've seen the show is like, like kind of fun. But I don't know. I don't know if I can dedicate the time. So sorry, X-Files. <laughs> Maybe it's like Doctor Who where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, serious whatever takes place way after there was a big gap. So you can just start there. You can just start on season 10. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if they're like, I could check for that information and that'd be great. Doctor Who has an advantage of everything else for me because I've invested so much time in it. It's like a sunk cost <laughs> fallacy almost. <laughs> it is definitely. I have to watch all the new Doctor Who. But if you want to believe that we have a podcast that comes out every Friday each week covering a different fandom, you're in luck because that is the case. And it can be found at fanthropological.com or on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're on a podcatcher, hit that subscribe button so you get a brand new episode every Friday, and please leave us a rating or review while you're there. If you want to follow the podcast, you can do so on Facebook at Phanthropological or on Twitter at Phanthropologic. And if you just want to see what the three of us are up to in general in the in the uh, nerdy world of fandom, you can find us at the NyxCast literally everywhere on the internet. So please uh, uh, punch that into the social media platform of your choice and give us a shout. And now we have a word from our good friends, the Epic Film Guys, about their upcoming charity stream. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 Livestream for the Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, we're going for our biggest goal yet. Tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. And that only leaves us with one thing left to do this episode, and that is the famous last words.
That's right. The part that some of us say is their favorite part of the episode. <laughs> I don't believe it, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's the part where we talk about next week's topic before we've done any of the research. And next week, we're going to be talking about something that I would say is kind of in the same vein as the X-Files. But with a feminist twist, perhaps. What? Because we'll be talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, gentlemen, what are your famous last words about Buffy? There are a lot of fans of Joss Whedon in general. Like, they like his style. And what I'm wondering is, is Buffy, which is one of the first things he notably worked on that a lot of people watched, does it kind of lay the groundwork for, like, his style and what people would come to love him for? Or is it kind of apart from that and its own thing? All right. I, in the intervening minutes, managed to think of just something, (laughs) kind of in a similar style. I want to know, how did the Buffy fandom change after the whole Joss Whedon controversy? Mm. Especially because he's helming the reboot. Oh, interesting. Right, there's a reboot. I mean, I don't want this episode to be Joss Whedon the Buffy episode, but there's meat there. I'll dig through it. Yeah. I mean, there there probably will be. I'd forgotten that there was going to be a reboot, so I was going to very cleverly say, well, unlike the X-Files, Buffy's done and over, never coming back. Uh, like I did last time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. Intentionally wording it this way. My famous last words are, aside from whatever controversy there might be, or there is, around the show's creative head, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer something that fans regard as a thing that's easy to go back and watch? Or, seen through the lens of 2019 culture, is it horribly dated? I mean, there's definitely some 90s stuff in there. Oh, for sure. I'm sure I'll find out a lot about uh, a lot of people saying things about the last few seasons and Willow's arc. Ooh, I'm not looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) That is unfortunately all the time that we have for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Consciousness. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for you to shoot a drop. If, if we, if, <laughs> if we have internet, if we have internet connection issues, um, which are often punctuated by silence, you fuckers <laughs> better laugh at every single thing that I have to say, <laughs> so I know that you're there. All right, <laughs> it's just it's more work for Z editing. Ha <laughs> ha. Annoying fake laughter only, please. Ah. (laughs) What are your thoughts on Dr. Hibbert laughter? (laughs) Mm, Problematic now. Ooh. All right. Okay. So, um, the discussion part. Yeah, the discussion part.